Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. But today's photograph uh, comes from one of the springtime scenes of uh, light and weather that comes through really more often than other places in the world, but uh, it comes through pretty often through the Willamette Valley. And this is a photograph of, uh, of a passing rain system, like a big cell of a storm in the, in the Willamette Valley with, uh, with a lot of light coming through the low, uh, the low level of it. And it's really cool. You get to see uh, the green grass, this kind of desaturated tone in the green grass as it comes up to the rainbow that's there shining down onto the land and then you see a bit of the rain as it comes up higher and higher into the the darker clouds above so it was a really cool colorful photo that I liked a lot and, and this is what I try and push for a lot with some of my photographs is to is to go for more of an ethereal uh, or dreamlike uh, representation of, of what reality was at that time even though this was just a regular summer storm with rain and some sunlight I think it, it really comes across as a special moment, this photograph. So it was a really cool thing, and, uh, and it's something I've been trying to work on more and more in the photographs I've been creating. You can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. Uh, really trying to do a lot of scouting stuff, which I've enjoyed too. Doing some scouting stuff through the summertime has been pretty cool, uh, where I'm really trying to go through some of these back roads. I'm trying to like uh, mark spots on the map where there's good campsites, uh, which I hadn't really I'd done before. You know, there's a lot of places I've driven, a lot of, uh, a lot of roads I've been on, and uh, uh, especially, you know, like backcountry roads, two forest service roads, BLM roads. And I know a lot of good dispersed camping areas. And really, I understand the context of how to find those areas so much better now that I'm older than when I was young. I mean, when I was young and I'd go camping with my dad, you know, we'd go out to Eastern Oregon, we'd find some spots. And they had known about those spots since, you know, he was a kid and he was going over there and hunting camps and stuff with his grandpa. Um, so it's cool for me to get to go over to those same spots and get to check out that area and stuff. But I think there's been, uh, or at least when I was a kid, I didn't really understand the, the land, uh, like the public land rights that you have and, and really how those are organized, like how public lands are organized and what you can do on them and, and sort of how it operates. I didn't really understand the difference between um, national forest land and BLM land or national park land and state park land or wilderness areas national wildlife refuge areas man there's just so many different distinctions of, of different things and then also just private property so i i didn't really have a, a clear recollection of any of those things and really a lot of time when it's public land you can go on it but there's some things you can't do on it like either maybe hunt in some circumstances uh, like a like a national park or i think you can't discharge a firearm inside a national park but for specifically permitted events, maybe probably uh, national wildlife refuges. I think those hunting opportunities are, are limited also. Though you can still do some things in, in those areas. I think you have to get permitted and uh, you have to draw a tag for that location, I think is what it is. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's kind of interesting sort of learning about that, learning how these things go, and, and uh, also finally getting some maps that you can use that you can kind of trust better while you're in the backcountry. I think that's something that's really helped uh, me kind of understand where I can go and what I can do. And I don't, I mean, I've had those map books, you know, like that, that 50 page or hundred page book of Oregon. And, you know, every, every page is a 25 mile map 
of that area. It was always super useful how they kind of grid out everything and show you the, you know, the mile by mile marking and the, the topography of the area, the different little roads and stuff. But even those roads, those map makers still got things wrong. I remember too, you know, back in like, was it 2004? I think we were out in an area in Southern Oregon near the Nevada border. What is it, Drew's Reservoir? Somewhere south of Gearheart Mountain. And I remember we were on some some little some little road. I don't even know if it was if it was a, a national forest area. I think it was just in, uh, is in between private and public lands as it kind of uh, jumps back and forth in those uh, pretty remote areas. All of it is just remote desert and forest and sagebrush and juniper. Um, but some of it goes into like ranch land that's more managed, and some of it cuts back into BLM land. So it's, uh, as this little roads sort of meander through it. Uh, but I remember being out there and, and noticing that the map on the page was just totally different than the map or than, you know, the real world ground truth of where the road went. And I thought, oh, whoa, yeah, you can't really trust the maps to show you the information that you want to see uh, when you need it. Other times, too, you know, you'll see like, a, oh, hey, like it shows there's a road right here. Good deal. We'll take that road. Well, you know, it shows it. It's on the map. So you cut down there, you get on the road, and then it's washed out like crazy, or it's super bumpy and like, uh, and just a terrible ride. And, but it's the same green roads, the same label, the same marking as the road next to it that was graded and, uh, and, uh, I don't know what, it's not paved, right? It's, it's graded gravel. They put more gravel down, I think is what I'm trying to say. They've, uh, they've made it an easier going road to, to drive on but then you get those washboard uh sections out there i don't know if you guys have been on that where you're driving around in the forest service roads and those gravel roads and i think it's a natural process of erosion that occurs that creates these waves in the material you know as i think as the rainwater comes down um it sort of naturally over time generates these uh these little ripples and uh, that's the washboard effect that you get when you're driving. That's also the thing that kind of uh, kicks your car sideways when you're, uh, you're going a little too fast on a gravel road. That's what I started doing today. I think I kicked it pretty hard side. Or, you know, like, uh, it, it, was, it was pretty loose on the traction, and it was starting to tip sideways in my truck. And so I slowed down and threw it into four-wheel drive after that uh, and uh, was able to cruise around out here pretty freely. Um, but... Yeah, I wanted to talk on this podcast about hanging out in the Fremont National Forest, and I just got finished uh, with a huge thunderstorm that came through. It just really finished uh, raining a little bit ago. Uh, it was kind of, uh, I think when I arrived here today at this meadow, it was still a few hours before sunset, so I walked around and uh, kind of went along the perimeter of the meadow, and then uh, and then I noticed that, you know, I mean, it's cloudy. Uh, it's It's been kind of cloudy today, and there's been thunderheads that have been uh, building up over the location that I've been. Ever since I, I kind of came over the pass of the Cascades, I've been in uh, like a, a pretty solid string of, uh, of thunderheads that have sort of coalesced into a uh, big mass over the Cascades. Some of it here over the, the Fremont National Forest, whatever mountains these are that I'm in. And, uh, and yeah, it seems like this section of Eastern Oregon was getting hit with a good thunder, a good summer August thunderstorm today, which was kind of fun to sit through and go through. It was cool. It, uh, I got rained on pretty hard earlier when I was driving over, and I thought I'd, I'd get out here and be a little bit more free of it, but it, it seemed like that storm kind of drifted over this way, and then was sort of uh, drifting north from here, and uh, and yeah, it was a, a new system, but man, there was just a bunch of lightning that was coming through, and huge cracks of thunder, just big, 
deep rumbles. I haven't heard thunder like that in, in years and years, probably, you know, where it just kind of stays and like hangs and rolls for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, it seems like, you know, where you just really count like, whoa, is, can it really still be just cracking and rumbling and rolling? And, uh, and there was enough activity, enough lightning activity that was going on there where you, you'd hear thunder. I mean, it was almost a, like 45 minutes there where there was just a, a crack and a roll of thunder uh, almost continuously. Like it, it was uh, it was pretty intense. It's, it's, it's really, I think, one of the more strong lightning storms I've been in in a while. But, uh, but that's sort of how it goes out here when you're at these higher elevations. I think I'm floating around up in the uh, 5,100 feet or so above sea level. And so it just means I'm I'm up in the mountains where these uh, these thunderstorms get started. You know they get their they get their I think that's where they they all kind of coalesce over these big mountain tops and then float over in the hot weather. I don't really understand the weather enough to say I know how a thunderstorm starts or doesn't start. Now I've just gotten cold enough. I'm trying to throw a jacket on. I know you got to live through it. I'm really camping. It's been good. But I'm going to be out here for uh, two nights, I think, is what I'm going to do. And then tomorrow I'll, I'll cruise out and uh, I'll try and hit some of these forest service roads for a bit, drive around, do some exploring, mark a couple spots on the map as, I'm, uh, as I'm cruising around. I think that'll be, uh, that'll be a good time. But, uh, but, yeah, I haven't been out here before. I think I've heard of a couple friends that have been out in this area that have done some I think they did a couple scouting trips for a hunting trip that they were going on in the fall. I think this is an area where, where one of my friends goes. I think they try and draw a tag for not this area. I think it's a drainage over from here. But I think uh, I've heard about this area a couple times from uh, from people talking about it. Um, so, yeah, it's cool. It's a cool spot. I was out taking pictures earlier, taking some photographs. I've been working mostly uh, probably for almost a year and a half now. Um I've been working a lot with this uh, uh, 17 to 40 millimeter wide angle Canon lens. And it's a pretty inexpensive lens. I think you can get it for like 400 bucks, maybe a little less if you're lucky and you get it on a sale time. Sometimes in the fall, as we're kind of ramping down toward um, toward Thanksgiving, I think you can get some good deals on it. But that's yeah, it's sort of in the, the, the $400 range. I think sometimes maybe it's more around five or something. But I picked it up a couple years ago when I was starting to do um, some uh, real estate photography. Or, well, I was working for Airbnb for a while uh, where they had hired me as a photographer to go into these uh, Airbnb Plus listings and uh, get a new set of photographs. That was interesting, kind of learning about how specific they wanted all those uh, those photographs and this, this really specific uh, art style and, um, and you know, format of it. And that was fine. It was interesting to do for a while. But, uh, but what was cool is I picked up that lens to, to get in and, and do that work. Um, but really, after that, I've been appreciating how, how much I can do with that wide-angle lens. And then, you know, 40 millimeters isn't way different than 50 millimeters. It's, it's certainly different uh, for the effects of portraits and stuff. But when I'm out here doing landscape stuff and I'm trying to uh, take pictures of uh, a lot of this stuff is kind of sketch photos, too, where I'm sort of going around at midday. I'm taking some photos of some different things. I want some camp photos in my truck and my, my little cooler set up in the back here um and uh so all that's been good in addition to that the uh the astrophotography stuff that i can do with it is pretty cool because it drops down to the 17 millimeters uh it's an autofocus lens it's a sealed lens it's uh it's pretty it's it's pretty good in most ways and i've really noticed over time that i'm not as 
uh, as absolute of a mandate for me to be shooting at a really wide open uh, f-stop. You know, if I'm, I'm shooting at a wide open aperture, almost all of my photos early on were at 1.8 or, or 2.0 or 2.8 or something. And uh, I would drew that really because I, I was trying to, I was really trying to get, because I didn't have very many lenses, I was really trying to get as much effect out of that bouquet, out of that soft background as I could. Um, so I was really trying to lean into that and get some photos with it. And I noticed with my camera, and equipment at the time that it just uh it just looked better it just did look better when it was at you know f18 i think i just had that nifty 50 nikon uh 50 millimeter for the longest time that's what i did did my early trips on and uh did a lot of my portfolio building stuff on that but um but uh, i've got a different 50 millimeter lens with me now i've got it on my film camera in my bag right now which i, I need to take out too and i'm trying to finish a roll of uh, ektar film it's been on there for a while and I've enjoyed shooting it. It's cool. It's a it's a new Canon camera to me, at least. I got it used on KEH and uh, spent I don't know thirty five bucks on it, ten bucks to ship it, and uh, it takes a weird battery too. It's one of those '90s film cameras, and it has this weird. It almost looks like a battery pack. This it's like two. It's almost like two double A's if they were a little fatter that are bonded together in this little plastic pack, and then you pop that in there and. Uh, shoot for a little while, I guess, and it, it runs a meter okay. So I'm uh, I'm getting by with it. But uh, I've noticed with the film camera stuff. It's it's fun to have an awesome film camera. It'd be cool to have a Leica and all the lenses I wanted. But uh, a lot of the time with that, you know, I have I have the good lenses. I have this this newer uh, like Canon L glass that I get to shoot through and uh, for film photos and for the variety of of or the variety of lenses I have. You know, I can I can do telephoto. I can do prime. I can do really wide angle all with the uh, modern digital Canon lenses that have, you know, chips in them that, that read well, that meter well, uh, that make contact with the, or that send information back and forth, or at least from the lens to the camera, I think. Is that how it works? That works in the autofocus stuff for the digital camera. This is, di this is autofocus, so yeah. It's an autofocus digital camera. It's sending information back. It's working, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's uh, it's cool. Like uh, that's something I didn't really have available to me for a long time. You know, I think when I've uh, probably on this podcast, if you go way back in the archives, I'm talking a lot about film with uh, a Nikon F4. You know, I mean, that just had autofocus. That was the, the first camera in like 88 to, to get autofocus, period. Um, so it's cool to have that in a more flexible way now. But uh, what I remember talking about in the past a lot was that I had like uh, limited options with glass a lot of the time. I didn't really always have the lenses that I would have preferred. And so I've kind of made a collection of that now with this Canon stuff. I've got a Canon camera, and so I can throw all those lenses on and have that same flexibility that I have with my digital set, um, but just with this uh, this film body that I get to shoot a roll through. So I kind of save the film stuff for when it's a thing that I want. But uh, what I've noticed, though, for a little while is that uh, I miss a lot of those moments, and I end up just uh, having the the, the, the normal, you know, the regular digital camera with me with uh, a bunch of my other gear. Um, when I've been going out, I've been trying to, to kind of just take the camera with me and then I'll leave the bigger bag uh, back at the truck uh, so that I'm not really carrying as much stuff with me. I've also started carrying, um, like when I'm out here in the woods and stuff, I'm carrying a binocular harness with me, uh, which is kind of cool. You can get them in different sizes, but uh, it's sort of like if you imagine like a backpack, but uh, what they do is they strap onto the front so it's right on your chest. And uh, what you can do is fill, is put like a, a pair of binoculars in there so you can pull them out and then scout around with your binoculars, do some glassing, and then pop them back into your 
uh, into your harness and then kind of carry on with whatever you want to do. But if you leave that empty without the, um, without the binoculars, if you have a smaller camera rig, probably like a mirrorless or a Sony camera, you know, like one of those Sony A6000s, man, if you were a backpacker and you had a Sony A6000 and this, uh, this front carry, um, like binocular pack, you'd be really sad. That would be like all the camera bag that you'd need. In fact, really, if I'm thinking about ever doing some, uh, like, uh, over, you know, some longer backpacking travel where I just have to pack everything in and weight's going to be, uh, something I'm more conscious of, then I think that's really like the way to go as I've kind of been thinking about it a little bit is like get a, get a lighter camera or, I mean, it'd be great to like carry like a 360 camera, you know, if you're going up somewhere, those are, those are almost nothing as it is anyway. But, uh, but if you're carrying like an SLR or something that you want to try and do some, some more controlled photography with, and you had something like a, an A6000 from Sony or an A7, 7R3 or whatever it is, um, something that size with a lens attached to it, you know, that could fit in one of these binocular harnesses, harnesses and, and carry kind of right on your front. And then, oh, you see something, you want to take it? pop that open right on your chest, pull it right up to your eye. It's got straps on it in the harness. Pull it right up to your eye. It's ready to shoot. And you can uh, take photos of it or take photos, you know, as quick as you want to. So uh, it's kind of a, a cool process if you're out hiking a lot. For what I'm doing, I have my binocular harness, but it's got binoculars in it. And uh, I've been kind of going around. I've been trying to do some bird watching stuff while I'm out here. And uh, I saw a cool hawk that was posted up who was looking at me. That's about all I've seen so far. I saw a coyote the other day. That was cool. I'll talk about that later, though. But uh, uh, but so I have those binoculars in there, and I've I've been kind of going out on these uh, these shorter hikes and stuff. But I've been trying to uh, go around and uh, like just kind of watch some stuff or watch the land and, and kind of keep an eye out. But uh, I just have the camera on my longer strap on my side uh, with that uh, seventeen to forty millimeter lens, and that's worked really good. And it's been a, a pretty flexible kit for me to to go around and take a bunch of photographs with. So. It's pretty easy, pretty lightweight to work with, and I can uh, kind of move back and forth uh, between those things strapped around my neck. You know, it's not everything just hanging around my neck with a lanyard. It's all kind of uh, put somewhere or packed in somewhere. So that's been kind of cool. Uh, but it was good going out and taking some photos tonight. I was uh, trying to get some of the... I didn't I didn't get anything lightning in the camera, though. The lightning storm kind of passed as soon as it was getting really dark enough to uh, to do like a long exposure kind of thing where I could I could sort of catch something uh, something sparking otherwise you know you gotta you gotta beat the lightning bolt with your shutter finger and that's a pretty tricky task to do i think that's how they do it you know when you get those uh you get those like magazine photos back in the day of uh, uh a powerful lightning bolt striking i don't know in the center of a road or something like that. that's what they'd show you know some kind of uh power lightning bolt but uh, the way that they would do that stuff is i think i think it was like a I think it was dark out, you know, or pretty dark out. And so they'd set the camera up for uh, just a cycle of long exposures, and then they would just kind of let it ride, you know. So they'd have uh, a couple seconds to expose the image to whatever, you know, would work. And then they would just kind of have that rolling so that when, when a bolt of lightning did strike, and it would be captured. And you could go through that collection of captured, or, you know, how do I say that? When a lightning bolt would strike the ground the camera would have already been exposing for a photograph because it's just cycling the shutter on a four-second exposure, let's say, something like that. Um, and so, you, you know, it takes a four-second exposure, stops, processes for a second, takes a four-second exposure, stops, processes for a second. So I think that's how they did some of that stuff where they uh, they kind of anticipate, all right, it's been a couple minutes, let's uh, take a frame now and then, it's just going to be an event in the future, so we don't know if it's going to happen or not. 
we're going to wait for this event in the future when we boom see a lightning bolt and then that light then exposes the sensor or the film and the camera and then you're left with an image that has that lightning bolt represented in the frame when you're shooting on a tripod or something like that with uh with a, like a short cycle long exposure and uh, I thought that was uh, pretty cool, but uh, I didn't really get a chance to to get all that stuff set up before the uh, the storm kind of passed me by. I did get a lot of cool handheld stuff that was uh, that's great of the the thunderheads and stuff. And really, unfortunately, just in the the location that I'm at, a lot of the and I guess maybe for the better, but uh, that lightning storm didn't pass right over my head. It was uh, still a little ways away, so I could see the lightning bolts cracking through the trees, kind of out in the distance more. A few that that stretched across the sky pretty good too. It was just you know big old uh, you know from from east to west. It, it was like you know a big old chunk of a, a bolt that just crack all the way across the sky. It was cool. Um, so I got some photos of the thunderheads, the sunset, the uh, the big field out here. It's cool. It's a nice area. Um, but I was also thinking about uh, some of the other stuff that I want to be doing tomorrow. So I'm out in the the Fremont National Forest. I'm going to be heading, I think, maybe south from here, and I'm going to try and explore a couple areas that are still open. Um, or you know, I guess it's all open public land. This is like one of, uh, or a pretty large, contiguous section of, uh, of national forest land here. And, and really, like, that's a big part of Oregon overall, right? It's like 53% public lands. It's cool, yeah. If you look at a map, you'll see the cities, and you'll see like the highways and stuff. But uh, if you have the right map, it'll show you where the BLM land is and where the the different national forests are. And it's cool. This whole area, of the Northwest, is is uh, is just there's a lot of public land that you get to use, and uh, there's a lot of uh, open area that you get to go to. And um, and yeah, now that I've got uh, a, a good map of the uh, outdoor off road. Uh, roads and some of the terrain and stuff with uh, some good notes and I'm able to kind of move around and, and uh, get out to a lot more places than I had before so it's been cool the app that I'm using is the OnX off-road app it's uh, I think $29.99 a year and uh, so I pitched that out picked up this app and then you can download offline these uh, these really detailed off-road maps that are supposed to show you all the trails, you know, even just walking trails, all the roads, all of the, um, like, the pieces of information you'd need for kind of moving around in the backcountry. And, and really, as surprising as it is, as remote as a lot of these places are, uh, people go here, you know. It's it's also public land that's managed by the um, the forest department, forest, forest service? Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff's managed by the forest service, the BLM stuff's managed by the BLM, but that's why these roads are as good as they are or maintained or that's why like when trees are downed on these mountain roads you know someone has to go through at the beginning of the year and cut all those out rip them out fill in the potholes all that sort of stuff so all these areas are um are known about and you know kind of um managed in a, in a pretty significant way in fact i think uh um, more so to come in the future i think they just have announced yesterday or the day before that they've passed the Great American Outdoors Act, which I really don't know the first thing about or um, or what it does or doesn't do or what it puts in or leaves out. But uh, I think part of my understanding is that it's supposed to change some of the funding mechanisms that go into supporting the, the maintenance of these public lands that are out here uh, across the country, but really significantly out here in the western states. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I think uh, before that it was like, well, we should spend... Uh, you know, X amount of money, but there's a more important place for that money to go. So it wasn't like a guaranteed amount. It's sort of what I understand. So if I understand it correctly, there's like um, 
I think they've said three billion dollars a year of mandated funding for projects. I think here in the backcountry, BLM land, Forest Service land, and uh, like national wildlife refuges and stuff. So uh, pretty cool. But yeah, I think that's going to, well, maybe we'll see a change in that. I think it's supposed to better fund the operations of, of BLM and Forest Service people as they're going through and, uh, and trying to get these areas ready for uh, for the public to be using more regularly. So it's cool. I think it, uh, it'll mean a lot uh, over the next uh, few years, or we'll, maybe we'll see how it, how it kind of transforms um, some of the way that uh, these, uh, these areas are managed. I think maybe it's, it's more for, well, you know, I probably shouldn't even speculate. I'm not sure at all. But it's pretty cool. I'm excited about uh, being out here and doing some camping and stuff, dealing with this uh, thunderstorm. I think it's one of those things where by the morning, you know, it's going to be, uh, or at least, uh, well, I was looking at the weather. It should be mostly cloudy, or partly cloudy, mostly sunny tomorrow for a while. So I think that's pretty cool. I'm excited to be hanging out, doing some camping stuff, doing some podcasting. I'm in the back of my truck right now. Like I was saying, it was uh, raining earlier after the thunderstorm, so I got that canopy on my truck, and I'm nice and dry, nice and warm. Uh, it kind of feels like I'm uh, I'm just inside somewhere. So it's uh, it's a cool cool rig having the four wheel drive, having the canopy on the back, having your, your stuff and your sleeping area just kind of set up back there, and I'm ready to go. So I've been having a good time being out here, and uh, I don't know, it's been a pretty good pretty good trip so far. So I appreciate you guys checking out this uh, podcast from me. I'm gonna do a couple more podcasts while I'm out here on this camping trip, and I'll uh, I'll try and try and set up a, a little backlog of them on my website i think it'll be a a good idea i know i kind of take big breaks and stuff from it i'm sure no one uh no one keeps listening when it, when it is there but hey if you listen to this end of the podcast shoot me an email time for the plugs it's uh billy newman if you want to check out my website see some of my photographs check out uh more podcasts that i've done or books that I've uh, tried to put together, which is uh, maybe what I'm going to try and do out here, too. I'm going to try and get some photographs for another good book. You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it. If you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash billynewmanphoto. Yeah, this summer I've been trying to do a lot to work to get together uh some new photos, some new stuff to try and uh, kind of build a base and then move from there a little bit. But uh, I'm really excited to try and put up a bunch of the older portfolio photographs that I have. And I was really happy to work on the website a lot this summer. I kind of uh, redesigned a bit of that. You check that out. Tell me what you think of it. It's at billionewmanphoto.com. And uh, I try to strip out a lot of the unnecessary parts and I'm trying to kind of hone it down a little bit so it's a little cleaner. But um, it's going well. I'm trying to set it up a little bit more so it's stream-based, if that would make sense. You know how we've kind of moved toward uh, like the Facebook stream, the Twitter stream, the Instagram stream. Um, so I'm trying to kind of move it to where, like I talked about on the podcast before, where um, a lot of the media stuff that I put together, the video clips, 
the photographs and stuff that uh, wherever they do end up going, whatever sites I am populating, like Flickr and, and Instagram and Facebook and all the rest, that that's kind of what's shown on the website or, you know, how the, the website's going to try and automatically pull that stuff and ingest that into the website so I don't have to do it as much. And that's kind of been fun, actually, or it's kind of been cool doing that. But the thing that I need to do, the part that's still left is I need to go through my uh, photo portfolio kind of the long-term portfolio of images I have. And I'm trying to go through and select uh, what would be good to show the work that I've done so far. And I'm trying to do that in a way that's um, more developed than I have before. I've gone through and I've selected, I've kind of picked the photos that I like a lot. But I'm trying to do a couple different things. And hey, another truck. Man, that looks like a few tons of gravel in the back. Um, so uh, what I want to do, though, with the photo stuff and what I've kind of been trying to work on a little bit is to go through Instagram or to go through Facebook and to try and select my favorite photographs, but then also to select the ones that have been um, sort of chosen by the market. That's another idea that I'm trying to go for. What, what do people actually like of the pictures that I take? What are the ones that people seem to connect with the most? So on one level, I'm trying to find all those photos and then I'm trying to um, sort of remake those photos or re-edit them or, you know, kind of re republish them in a way that looks sort of new and that's uh, cleaned up a little bit in the way that I can I can edit and create stuff now. Um, so part of the step is that. And then the other part is to sort of learn what people like of the photos I make. And then I want to go out and try and make more of that. Or I want to try and dig in a little deeper on, uh, on the part that seems to get the most traction or that seems to be seen as the most valuable. Uh, so on one of those, like, what I've noticed... Um, well, yeah, what I've noticed anecdotally so far is that the low light stuff for the the astrophotography, the night photography, the landscapes where there's stars matched in the background seem to really perform really well. And I really love trying to take those photos. And I know a lot about how to lay out the stars that I would want in that photo. Or, you know, I know where the stars are. I know how to kind of line some of the landscape stuff up and I know how to expose for it. So that's a part that I'd really like to get into and push for more and what seems to be... Uh, a draw of the photos that I take. But on the other side of that too, I really want to do more, more fine art photography. That's what I really liked and was kind of drawn into when I first started taking photos, even way back on film before I knew how at all. But I really like the fine art side of it where uh, you could go through and try and put the nicest elements together or, you know, try and put a landscape together. But I liked that side of it a lot more than the product or production side of it uh, in a, in a sense, at least. Um, and I've always been really interested in the fine art photographers that are out there or the fine art landscape photographers where you see uh, some of the advanced kind of work that they put together, some of the ways that they're able to put real pieces, real elements into a photograph. It's always seemed uh, so cool when you're really able to be in tune with that sort of stuff. And I don't know, I've just always loved the, the old landscapes and, uh, you know, old fine art images from the past. So that's kind of the stuff that I'm trying to get into. But organizing this stuff has been interesting so i'm trying to use this program called scrivener and maybe i talked about it before or maybe a while back i talked about it but scrivener is kind of interesting it's this uh and i talked about it yesterday i know but it's this writing application um, that i'm trying to get into and it seems like it would take a few tutorials to really figure out it's a little bit more in depth hey gravel truck uh it's a little bit it's quite a bit more in depth than something like word even though Microsoft Word is uh, sort of an industry standard that everyone has sort of learned on for the last 15, 20 years, it really is a little bit more specific to like an essay, for, or at least the way I've learned it, but it's more specific to the, an essay format of word processing, 
where you're trying to get a page accomplished and you're trying to edit through that, or you're trying to edit through kind of a single document. And uh, Scrivener is sort of laid out in a way where there's a few more pieces on the side of it where it's really supposed to be a research application or you're supposed to kind of compile uh, different documents of text research or photo research and you kind of put that together and then you're able to sort of assemble a larger writing project from there. Um, which I think is kind of interesting. Like I'd, I'd figure uh, like book authors would use a, a writing program like this to work on their character outlines and their story outlines, their plot summaries, and then they would work that into the manuscript that they would make into their book later. Um, so I, I don't know. I just think it's kind of an interesting way that uh, they seem to be going or that the program is built to sort of go about it. So I'm trying to get into that and do it well. But one of the aspects I'm trying to do is uh, to put in all the portfolio photographs that I have into this Word document and then sort of sort those photographs and write about those photographs a little bit to see which photographs really seem to connect with me the mo or connect and connect with an audience the most. And, um, and also what photographs sort of have a story associated with them. I love uh, that. Like if you would follow me for this for a second, you would kind of see that there's a difference between the photographs that are going to be the most monetizable, the ones that you can make money from, like let's say portraits, let's say business portraits for some company. You could get you could get some money for that, but you wouldn't really want to post that in your portfolio of work necessarily. You'd want to, like at least in my case, what I'd like to do is show some photos from the Imnaha River Canyon, like where we were uh, last week on our photo trip. So you kind of want to move into that stuff, but you don't, it's not going to be the same sort of thing. Like those landscape fine art photos or uh, just, you know, the landscape travel, adventure, tourism sort of stuff. That's all going to be on one side of it. And then the other is going to be, you know, senior portraits, business portraits, um, event photography, wedding photography, that sort of stuff. So there's sort of two sides of, of, of a portfolio. One of them's a, a photo product that's valuable for money. And the other one's a, an, an art piece that's valuable because of its aesthetic. And those are sort of different things that you're kind of, as a photographer, you're trying to build both of those up at the same time. It's sort of like two different routes that you have to work on at the same time until they sort of merge together and uh, unify. So it's kind of an interesting part of it. And that seems to be part of the process that I'm in right now is trying to figure that stuff out. So some weeks it's I'm working really hard on the aesthetic side of the photography. And then some weeks I'm working really hard on the monetizable compensation based side of uh, the products that I want to try and build as a photographer that's in business. Right. And there are those are interesting challenges. <laughs> so, but I guess I've been doing it for a couple of years and it's kind of fun at least to uh to get to still be doing it. So a couple of things that I'm trying to do is um, I'm trying to go through and build a new Lightroom catalog of all the photos that I've taken this year and all the photos from the last couple of years so I can organize those and do a little bit of what I'm talking about so I have this kind of tighter collection of maybe the top 100, top 200, top 50, some number in there of, uh, of well laid out photo essays and stories with an image you know that's kind of what i'm trying to get to especially for like the the social media content side of it i want to try and have that ready to go with a higher frequency almost all the time so i'm trying to get everything kind of pre-produced right if that makes sense i want all the portfolio photos pre-selected and then ready for me to go if i want to if i want to post those or get those out um on any given day so it's interesting it's kind of a cool project i worked on it a little bit i'll work on it a little bit 
here and there when I can, but uh, that's another part that's kind of tough. I mean, gosh, I haven't even finished my website yet, which I guess the last part is still just this. I need to, it's kind of what it's been waiting for is I need to finish the selection of the portfolio and then I can build the portfolio gallery and put that up on the website. Um, but so far it's been working great just to send a, y'all over to Instagram. I think that's where most of the stuff goes. That's where all the current content goes anyway, too. So, Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. I hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there, some stuff on the homepage, some good links to other other outbound sources, some, some links to books, some links to some podcasts, links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.